Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. You're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, Spot Radio. Hello, everyone. It's Charlie Webb. Welcome to another episode. We're broadcasting here in beautiful Santa Barbara County, California, in the beautiful little Danish-American town of Solvang. Today, we're going to have the discussion we've had before. I'm bringing in Cord Burnham. He's the lab manager for Vanderstahl Scientific, oversees the 17025 accredited laboratory for calibration. And this guy is on the road all the time. I mean, for the last 10 years, about he's been in about every major clean room and minor clean room, for that matter, throughout North America. The guy lives on an airplane, but he also sees all the things that come into our laboratory. He is the person that is in the know when it comes to calibration issues and maintenance. So we're going to get him on the phone here so we can chat a little bit about how he might keep you out of trouble. It seems like ISO is really um, focusing in on preventative maintenance schedules. Our phones have been busy with this discussion. And, you know, short of having a time machine, there's no way for us to go back and say, hey, what you probably should have done is looked at your maintenance from this point of view. And there's about two or three different ways you have to look at when you're talking about scheduling your maintenance uh, schedule or how to develop your schedule also in calibration, how preventative maintenance affects that. So let's have the discussion. I've got my good friend Cord Burnham on the phone. Hey, Cord, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Charlie. How about yourself? Doing pretty well. So today we're going to talk about preventative maintenance or as we like to call it around here, lack thereof. We're going to talk a little bit about calibration and some of the little mishaps. Now, remember that this doesn't just apply to your, to our equipment, rather, whoever the manufacturer of your packaging equipment or any other critical piece of equipment that you have in your clean room, all of this sort of applies to it. So, well, let's kind of frame the story up here a little bit, Cord. One of the problems that, uh, and we'll talk about several of the issues and hopefully some remedy here. One of the issues that we continue to have is out of calibration events on packaging machinery. So if you get a, um, packaging machine calibrated and on your calibration certificate you see as found out of calibration it runs chills down your spine i don't think we've ever really had one of those events with one of our machines but these are static data loggers there's not much that we really knock them out of um, stasis but in packaging machines it's a little trickier you have consumable parts and those all play into the accuracy of the device so let's talk a little bit about how sometimes you'll even get a machine in that's out of calibration and uh, you'll do a simple service on the machine and presto, just like that, the machine is back in Cal. Let's talk about that. That's far more common than you'd imagine. We literally have machines in here in our calibration laboratory right now that have just required a service of the consumable parts to bring them back into tolerance. It's amazing how many people forget that simply changing those consumable parts that you mentioned, that's the remedy to uh, avoiding those out-of-tolerance events. Yeah, I mean, throughout the year, if you're not doing a tight PM on your equipment, you know, what do you expect the outcomes to be? One of my biggest pet peeves is the big high-level validation group that comes in. All these 
men and women with their advanced degrees in engineering, they create these beautiful magnum opus of validation. And then they turn it down to the facility group that really doesn't have the resources. It's really not their workspace. And so the process sort of decays. And it's so crazy to go through all this high-level testing, design of experiments, all this crazy stuff, only to have machines that are performing outside of stasis, outside of a normal operational zone, and completely crater your validation program. So Maintenance is so much more important. And that's why I'm always surprised that we aren't connecting in the maintenance and even operators oftentimes into the validation process. So everybody, every stakeholder needs to be involved in that process. Everything from the high level validation and all the regulatory processes that are involved all the way down to how the device is being used, user training, maintenance. So where do you find the shortcomings mostly happening in maintenance? Is it frequency or the I know a lot of what you're getting in there is people who are not putting, maintenance groups aren't putting on the parts correctly. What is the biggest sort of failure you're seeing? Well, you bring up a very valid point. You're talking about how the people will do this really intense validation and then they don't follow up with facilities. And a lot of times it's that the facilities people aren't educated about how to maintain the equipment properly because the validation people didn't even think about that when they were doing their validation. So, Sometimes the shortcoming isn't necessarily the fault of the maintenance staff. It's the fault of the program itself, like basically being non-existent. Yeah, I mean, we should probably frame this story a little bit and let the people know if the Rolling Stones don't have anything on Cord Burnham in terms of on-the-road tours, you're in more clean rooms throughout North America than probably anybody in the business. You've seen so many different cultures, work environments, so you can really frame this discussion quite well. You're not just locked up in our laboratory and service center. You have been out on the road. And so you must see a lot of different cultures and how they address maintenance. Maybe you can tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly there. Start with the bad. The bad are the facilities I go to where nobody has touched the equipment other than the operator once it was put into use. Mm. So the operator oftentimes will be the first person to bring something to my attention. And I let them know, you need to communicate that to whoever's on your maintenance staff. They don't know that either. They're just an operator. That's all they do is seal pouches all day long, package medical devices. But they'll notice that, oh, we're getting a bad seal in this area. And that'll directly correlate to, say, damage to the heating element in the area where they're getting that fault in their seal. So bringing in those those operators, as you mentioned earlier, and then having the maintenance people come and observe me. So those are the good We'll see when we go to a clean room and they'll say, hey, do you mind if I look over your shoulder while you do this? Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, absolutely not. Please look over my shoulder. Ask any questions you want because I want you to be able to come in here and change this part out if you run into a problem with your seal. I don't want you to have to call me and have me get on a plane and come back out here Mm -hmm. because that's going to cost you a lot more money than it should. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things. Not only you mentioned something that's important. I mean, the front end, the sort of distal operational tip is those operators that are sealing up the medical pouches. You know, moreover, they're the infantry people who are right on the front line. So they see machine behavior and understand machine behavior. And you mentioned talking to the maintenance staff when there's an issue. You know, moreover, we need to bring in quality. So quality needs to come in. I mean, I honestly just don't understand why there's not a monthly meeting in packaging, bring in operators, bring in an operator supervisor, as well as a operator that runs the machine that is sort of, you know, agnostic to the process to a certain extent, 
bringing the lower level maintenance group that are actually turning the wrenches on the devices and changing parts on it, as well as the supervisor in their maintenance group. And of course, the quality group, right? Well, and I do see that in some locations I visited, the entire production staff from the production engineering team all the way down to the actual operator, they get together sometimes every morning before production starts and they have a meeting. And a lot of what comes into play is quality of the seal, making sure the devices are fitting in the bag properly. So they do. They include our equipment as part of that production meeting so that if there are any issues at the start of the day, they can address them then. And those are my favorite places to go. Places where you go where the the maintenance staff is, well, on the ball. They know the equipment. They've taken the time to learn oftentimes from us how to properly maintain it. They ask the right questions. So when they are working on the equipment and maintaining it, it creates that repeatable seal that we're looking for without us having to show up every time they have a problem. Mm, you know, I think Vanderstall Scientific, I mean, if anything, we love to hear all the great feedback. Excuse me if I sound like a commercial here for a second, but one of the things that we're known for is customer support. and. One of the things that surprises me is that there's failures when we have so many available resources. You cannot call our company during a reasonable business time and not speak with a high-level person like you in our service center to walk you through an issue. We have training videos online that shows the whole maintenance process, calibration process. We offer so many tools to help these companies to make sure that their devices are running great. You know, in the 90s, we always had the term that was sort of focused in on software. It was the garbage in, garbage out. Now we use the same sort of process, but we've changed the nomenclature a little bit. The term is inputs in and outputs out. And those are whatever we put on the input side is what we should expect on the output side. We talk about patient outcomes. That's an output. We talk about calibration or or good seals on a machine. We're talking about outputs. So if you don't have a machine that is running within spec, if you're not changing the parts regularly, of course, if it's not calibrated, how can you expect to have good repeatable results? And, you know, it's nothing is more frustrating. I know you've got these calls before. I know I have. And I've been on several FDA and ISO audits where they're like, there is absolutely no maintenance being performed on this machine. They're getting weak seals or complete seal failures. But in the room where they're talking to the auditor, they have a stack of papers where they're pointing to their design of experiment work, all those early days of developing their validation. And at the end of the day, I can tell you as a certified internal auditor for 17025, that the thing that I would want to see is, hey, what is happening now? We don't want the theoretical data. How are you taking care of this thing? I mean, if you've been in the used car market and you bought a used car, I think what the first thing you want to see is to see service records from a dealer. I think that's one of the frustrations that you and I both see is that with so many resources, so many tools to help our customers to make sure that they deliver their medical device safe and sterile to the point of care, we talk about this endlessly, we can't have any broken chains in the link. I guess you've seen them in several different ways. You and I always are are sharing some of the stories about how these things come in. And it's not only just um, we do on-site, and of course, people send their machine to us. And we're even surprised where the shipping group that takes this validated piece of equipment that's going to be sealing a medical device that perhaps is going into somebody's chest cavity and we throw it into a, the cheapest thin wall box. We throw in some loose fill and cross our fingers. They arrive broken in bits. And then you've seen them where they've come in just beautifully prepared. Let's contrast that a little bit about first, get it to us safe so we can perform that high level calibration in those services. Where's the failure happening there, Cord? 
again, that's somebody higher up not communicating down the food chain. There's somebody that's probably in a shipping department somewhere. They have no idea what this piece of equipment is for. Their only responsibility is to put it in a box. And oftentimes they're trying to do that as quickly as possible because they don't fully understand how important this piece of equipment is to say the production line of their company. So they'll take that shortcut you mentioned. They'll just throw some loose fill around. And these are, you know, 50 plus pound machines. That's a lot of weight moving around inside a shipping carton. And if all you're doing is putting some packing peanuts around it, there's a very good chance that something in there is going to get broken when that machine shifts around. And that is terrifying me when I open boxes sometimes in our uh, shipping receiving center. It's a good customer and they do the maintenance on the machine. But when I open the box, I see how poorly it's been packaged. But as you said, the exact opposite. You'll see a customer who maybe their maintenance may be horrible, but their shipping and receiving department is completely the opposite. That machine's <laughs> in there. It's got foam padding all around. It's in a custom built case. It's amazing. Again, it's about not communicating down the food chain. So getting out of that packaging, making sure that that machine arrives safely with no damage. And we always return it the same way. We often find ourselves adding quite a bit of extra packaging material to a shipping carton to ensure that it is returned with no problems. I mean, one of the concerns always when you're shipping a calibrated instrument, what's UPS and FedEx going to do to that calibration? It seems like overland handling has just become worse and worse. I mean, our goal is to try to package those machines so they can survive a dock height drop. It's a, what, six foot drop. And that's kind of a tall order when you're talking about sensitive equipment. We have a process where we have to recommission our equipment back into our laboratory, our 17025 labs. And of course, we have to make sure that it's still in cows so we have a process where we can check. I think really, you know, what we need to do, as you say, I mean, we have everybody from the shipping department, the operator side, the maintenance quality, you know, there just needs to be a program. And I'm tempted to put together a sort of a, a check sheet for medical device manufacturers to make sure that everybody is brought into this problem solution so they get better outcomes. And the reason we're having this conversation on the podcast, and again, it's not just our equipment. We hear this on everything from glove boxes and air handling systems, injection molder pieces, everything within medical device manufacturing that we're seeing the same problem. And I think it's because that big dichotomy between high level engineering group and the lower, more sort of delivery in that is more sort of entry level people who don't really understand the sort of girthiness of the medical device packaging process. And it's up to us, medical device manufacturers, to bring everybody in so everyone shares that understanding of how important these processes are. I think another challenge, Cord, you and I have talked about before is that we'll send out parts, their maintenance group will receive them in, we'll get them back into the lab and they're installed wrong. What do you think happened there? Uh, That's a lack of people utilizing the resources that we often provide. As you mentioned, there are videos on our website that detail how to perform the service. So it's somebody who just, they, they weren't paying attention is what I find because these days, almost everybody has a phone with a camera built in and all you'd have to do is look at the original setup before you took the parts off snap a few pictures and now you have a reference to go back to i mean we often do that when we're performing a complex maintenance service where we have to replace very complex pieces of machinery such like a solenoid or a transformer there are a lot more wires involved and a lot more points of mounting and screws and bolts involved you really do need a technical manual so As a reference, when you're reassembling it, oftentimes I will have a whole slew of pictures on my phone that I can go back and reference to make sure that everything is oriented correctly. And also make use of the manual. The manual shows you how to do all of that. Yeah. You know, the um, 
Another point to that when we're talking about delivering the device to us and back, I mean, these are going into clean rooms, obviously. This is where these machines live. And when we take them out of the box and we're pulling, I mean, particles that are millimeter round, just littered with pieces of packing. Now, these are going to go back into a clean room and create this bloom of contaminants or particulates into a clean room. So, you know, again, every part of the process from making sure that you are packing the device correctly. And, you know, we have another problem where there's a little jaw, obviously the jaw that comes together for the packaging machine. In our instruction, we gave a really good description. We have a service return authorization process. So you fill this out and it tells you exactly how to pack it, what to remember. So we even give a kind of a laundry list of here's how to get it back to us safely. In fact, I think that's even the title of that document. So you know, I think just a lot of people are just falling short and it's frustrating for us. And I know other manufacturers that are saying, hey guys, help us help you. You need to help us, you know, get this thing to us so we can do the thing that we do, but we can't be at your facility to pack it up. We can't replace those parts. I mean, I know you've done several real-time video conferences through meetups or Zoom where you've helped customers actually replace parts in real time. And we offer those sort of free services to help you make sure that we're on the same team. I mean, our goal is to make sure that you're happy with our equipment. I know other manufacturers feel the same way. Obviously, if something goes wrong and you complain about it, it makes us look bad, but it's kind of unjustified. So we really want to help you make sure that you can get that to us. And again, this is for other manufacturers, other packaging machine companies are some of our competitors that I talk to share the same problems. So what else are you seeing that's coming into the lab that's a little bit troubling knowing that it's coming from a 1345 medical device manufacturer and you're like, are you sure about this? I know we've got some machines in there that look like they were sealing water pumps from 57 Chevys or something, grease and dust and crazy stuff like that. What are the sort of crazy things you see in coming into our service center these days, Cord? Those are the top choices right there. Grease, dust, fibers, you name it. I've seen it all inside of the housing of one of these medical device sealers. And it's it's beyond frustrating because there's no way that that particulate is not in some way getting into that sealed area and contaminating the seal. So whether it's particularly when you see one that's just filled with dust from the... A lot of times what will happen is the packaging material itself the pouches will kind of give off some of the residue into the seal area and it builds up. Nobody's cleaned it off. And it's just baffling to me that how are you letting this material buildup occur in your seal area? Beyond that, I swear I've seen heating elements that look like somebody shot them from a distance with bird shot. (laughs) They are that damaged. They're literally peppered with little dents all across the entire surface. Mm -hmm. And I know those dents have got to be transferring into the sealing area somehow. Absolutely. You know, that's one problem with peel testing. It's a great mechanism to understand sort of aggregate seal strength of a medical pouch, but it, it fails to really understand inconsistencies in the sealed area. And even dye penetration may not always reveal those. So you could have that seal that's just peppered with weak areas. And if you aggregate all of those little dots over the length of that heating element or that sealed area, they turn out to be, you know, three, four, five millimeters worth of failed seal area. You validated 10 millimeters. Now you're not conforming to your original validation overview. So there's a lot of problems associated with maintenance and a lot of these are invisible. There really isn't a lot of good mechanisms to be able to look into a medical pouch seal at that level, but they're still valuable failures. They're worth noting. 
And these can all happen. I think a lot of times we've discovered where customers are checking the calibration on their device and they're using a twisted pair temp sensor, thermocouple, test lead, and they're sealing on it. And that amount of pressure, two kilograms per cubic centimeters of force dropping together onto a very small, less than a millimeter size, a little bulb at the end of a test lead. And now you've created a crater and that crater is offset on the platen and you're getting weak seals there. So it's so important that even in the metrology group, the calibration groups, that they know exactly what probe to use. In fact, we even offer a specific probe that we recommend, a ribbon style, to make sure that sort of pitting doesn't happen. Which brings us to another point. So a lot of our customers are bringing in outside metrology companies to come do their calibration on site. And there's a lot of value to do an on-site calibration. You really don't have to move the equipment, then why move it? Although we do have a very good system of getting the sealers to us and back with our support. But there's always the desire to have us. And it's expensive. If you're in Maine and we're in Southern California and Cord, you have to jump on an airplane and Cord eats only at the finest restaurants. And I think you only stay at Four Seasons when you're on the road, right? Absolutely. Only the finest. And so, you know, it gets expensive to have him come out there. In fact, in the blue room waiting for him to calibrate your machine, you have to take all the blue M&Ms out of the dish or he won't even come in and kept very high maintenance guide. But when he comes in there, he's, uh, you know, he's got a lot of places to go. It's expensive to have someone jump on a plane and come out there. So they um, grab the local calibration organization, which is terrific. They're 17025, all looks good. But what we're finding out is they're not contacting us and asking, hey, what's the calibration procedure for your equipment? So they're winging it. They're using a different test probe. Now we have dissimilar inner laboratory problem here where they're saying, you know, the machine is either out of calibration. In some terrible cases, we've even had, um, and I don't want to say that this is a huge problem with metrology labs. Most of them are very good, know what they're doing. No fault there at all. But some, you know, they got a heavy workload. They're trying to get in and out of there. They'll move the test probe around until it agrees with the device. They'll stamp it, calibrate it, and off they go. So those are the kind of concerns that we have. So even if you're using an on-site calibration service, you really need to make sure that they're contacting the manufacturer of that equipment so they're synchronized with their laboratory. You certainly want to make sure they're a 17025. Certainly, if you're a 1345 company, you want an ISO accredited laboratory that would be doing your calibrations like us. We have two of those 17025 labs, and it's important because those processes need to be very much codified in a uh, quality plan and a QMS and um, make sure that they're doing that calibration that is commensurate to your accreditation. So those are kind of the challenges that we see. And I know, Cord, every once in a while, you'll get a sticker in there. The machine was calibrated a month ago and the thing is out by 30 degrees or something. That's correct. And that's the result of what you just described. A calibration company that does not have our procedures, and we're more than happy to take calls and talk to these people, provide them copies of the calibration manual. I would rather that somebody who's an accredited calibration lab is using the correct procedure and doing it according to the way we would do it. So the results will be the same as if we did it. Yeah, using, you know, the same equipment. And again, this isn't just Vanderstahl scientific stuff we're talking about, no matter whose machine that you have. You need to make sure and reach out to that manufacturer and that you're following the process. Don't just assume that that metrology lab knows how to calibrate your equipment. In fairness to them, you know, they're calibrating static furnaces and injection molding machinery, everything, even house heating systems, everything. So as a result of that, they have a pretty large menu of services they provide. And with any of those sort of things, 
kind of like McDonald's. It's hard to have anything really good, but it's all edible. There's a lot of choices, but it ain't that great. Now, I'm not saying that's true with all these metrology labs, but I think that's the risk when you have too many scope items. So I would also recommend that you work with a company that works principally with medical device manufacturers and understand the seriousness of the device that they're calibrating and also has a scope that is sort of centered around thermal capture or force capture that doesn't go out into grain value of agricultural products or something. I mean, someone that stays within that work zone. So, Cord, what other sort of issues that you want to talk about regarding PM? I mean, you and I complain about this stuff all the time. We're not mentioning any names here, but you know, we think it's so important because we'll see, just like on validations, you know, we'll see these evanescent light, barely touched validation, and then we'll see the most anally retentive, thick validation and everything in between. And I think that's what we're seeing in the PEM. But man, I'll tell you, if this is 26 years of answering the phone over here, and I've been in so many ISO audits, FDA audits, where they're doing a postmortem on a 483 because they had a pouch failure. And that failure, everybody's scrambling to point the finger or to find to try to find what happened. They're calling us and I'm trying to support the company the best I can. But at the end of the day, you need to throw me a bone here. If you're having performed PM on your machine, you're getting weak seals, your machine's out of calibration. There's not much I can do. There's not much cord can do. We can help support you to that what was done, what the sort of accuracy values are and those sort of things. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that validation process is owned by the medical device manufacturer. We don't own that validation. You do. So once we provide you that equipment, it enters your door. Now you have to create that sort of environmental data that shows everything from who's going to be use it, how they're going to be using it, repeatability, reliability, every little bit and pieces. And if you've done a validation, you certainly know what I'm talking about. So in order to make that go well, the first thing you have to do, and remember, I mean, this is the base plate of your medical device packaging validation. Base plate is your equipment. So, Cord, what are you seeing beyond this? Any other concerns that you can tell us about that might help some of our customers avoid these problems in the future? Well, the best thing I can tell anybody is to constantly monitor your seal output, whether it's visual, whether it's peel strength, burst testing, whatever you're doing. You'll notice a change in your seal output. Again, visual is fantastic because you're going to see a failure that might not affect the seal strength, but does affect the seal quality. Peel strength is fantastic because that might be a quick hint that your thermal output is not what it should be. And the best companies are the ones who also do utilize the same type of thermal couple that we do. And they actually monitor the thermal output so that they know right away that if it starts to decrease or, or increase outside of the tolerance, they know that it's time to perform maintenance and they adjust their maintenance schedule accordingly. That's the key. They're monitoring the seal. They're monitoring the actual performance of the machine and they adjust that maintenance schedule because if you don't need to do the maintenance because you use it 500 times a month, why would you change parts every month? Mm. But if you're using it 5,000 times a week, you're probably going to need to change those parts more frequently. Yeah. Sometimes that's even a day, even more than that. We've seen 10,000 parts a day or more. So Absolutely. Yeah. You make a really good point. PM schedule is something we haven't talked about, but you know, the PM schedule is kind of arbitrary. We do have a boilerplate on our website. Like when should I change the heating element, the glass cloth, all of the sort of consumable parts of the machine? You know, those are good. But as Cord alluded, there's so many factors that come into play. It's very difficult to use cadence type scheduling or even count schedule. 
It's difficult to say every month do this or every 10,000 cycles do this. I mean, it's a good sort of a place to start. But if you're doing peel testing, for instance, like Cord alluded to, you'll see the sort of diminution of performance on the seal strength. That is a much better arbiter of whether or not you need to perform a PM than say it's Saturday time to do a PM. So you really need to look at those. And I think another thing, Cord, you made a great point about visual inspection. We don't seem to talk about visual inspection very much. And yet the uh, Native American that's breaking a piece of city and apart with a rock and he's looking at it to see where the knife blade is what it looks like we've used sight for so long it's such an important part of how we assess the value of food our mates everything comes from a visual cue why don't we use it more the operators those infantry people right at the front end they're the ones that are looking at that seal all day long don't wait for there to be a problem with the peel test in order to come all the way back upstairs to quality before you call a meeting saying, hey, we have an issue. That is a great opportunity. We have in our laboratory something we call the Tech Watch. I believe that's what it's called. And basically, it's a system that empowers anyone in our lab that's working on a machine or doing any process to say, hey, this doesn't make sense or here's what I'm observing because like, Cord, you're right there in that service center and in our laboratory. You know more about what's happening on that end of the business than anybody upstream on the management side. So what better person to have the input? That's the person that should be feeding back into your system. And through that tech watch, which we're really proud of, we even won an award for this quality system. It really helps us to keep an eye on our process, which leads all the way into patient outcomes from the risk of a sterility loss. So that's right. our optic. We're looking all the way to the patient, patient-centric. So when you empower, I hate to use that sort of 90s vernacular there, excuse me, but when you empower an operator to say, hey, we want to stop the line here, there's an issue, I need somebody to come find out what's going on. They need to be taught how to look at that because you can see right away when you seal a pouch that comes in. I mean, you have just kind of a lot of colloquial sort of ways where you can quickly determine whether or not that packaging machine is working right, right? Absolutely. And it is, it's about observing that risk, which is what we do with that overwatch is we do, we always encourage anybody in the lab, if you see a problem and it's a risk to the process for the customer or a risk to any of our processes via calibration, please bring that risk to the attention of the management team. And we're going to look at ways to mitigate that risk as best possible. Yeah. I mean, that's how it's really done. You know, it's like um, (laughs) just a lot of these organizations always think of that friends episode where ross is at the scientific table and the rest of the group is at the other table and it's sort of like even in the higher level as we go into our vocations and careers could it be there's still a cool table i think so and i think sometimes this creates firewalls between groups and so we really need to go grab everybody in the clean room if you're in the quality group and take everybody out for peace and chat talk communicate. You know, everybody needs to get together. I really do see this where there's this culture and you see, because again, Cord has been in countless clean rooms throughout North America. He's been everywhere. He's seen them all from the littlest company startup, putting their fold out tables in their sort of ad hoc makeup clean room all the way to the Medtronics and everyone beyond. So he's seen it all. And you see these cultures too. Do you see there's sort of that human problem where maybe this is why some of the communication isn't making it all the way back upstairs? Yeah, we, we see that all the time. 
It's the difference between an operator who does feel empowered and does look at the seal and goes and grabs their line leader, their supervisor, and immediately has that brought to their attention so that the problem gets solved. And again, that's that's a great culture when you see that operator initiate the repair of that machine. The next thing you know, a maintenance guy's in there. He knows what he's doing because he's done his due diligence and he's talked to our our team and gotten the information from us on how to do it correctly. And there, that problem is solved instantaneously. And then you have the other end where they're only testing output and they're doing, as you said, sometimes thousands a day. And so they test the beginning and the end of their shift. And that last one, oh, there's a failure. But now that whole batch that went out that day has to be called into question because they weren't constantly observing what they were producing. They literally looked at just a snapshot. And that's a day where you package 5,000 pieces on our sealer, then those 5,000 pieces now have to each be individually looked at. Can you imagine the amount of time that takes? Mm. Yeah, or even worse, they for a while there, we've seen a lot of our customers that are doing peel testing once a month. So if you look at how, and with a high, you know, decent amount of product going out the door. So now this thing's, their device is already in the distribution chain. And uh, gosh, good luck trying to, I mean, you can do it, but boy, you sure don't want to. Don't let anything leave your building until you've really have a good statistical value on the, how good your seals are. So that means that capturing those before they leave the uh, big brown truck that hauls them off, it's really surprising that we aren't increasing those cycles. We have a program here with Sterile Package on Track, same as our spot radio program here, name-wise. But it's basically, you can send us your pouches once a month, and we'll check to make sure that through this sort of round-robin interlaboratory study, we can say, hey, you know, we're getting commensurate results on our peel test in our accredited lab that you're getting. So it looks to me like your testing program is sound. We even have a new uh, film that we work with Paxis that we use in strips that we can do gauge R&R and also help you to, to determine whether or not your peel test is, tester is working good. Reaching outside your company to make sure that not only are you testing regularly, but your process is sound and your equipment is vetted and working as expected. So those are all important. Yeah. Regular testing, man. I tell that story to everybody. That's the most important thing you can do. Peel those pouches apart. You can have a failure in a very short order, and also you can't really do good cogent trending if you don't have the data points. So the best way to get those data points is to stuff that your whatever math program you're using, uh, mini tabs or Excel, and stuff it with as much of the peel results as you can so you can aggregate that data, take a peek at it, and look at trending. Well, Cord, give us some final words. We're just about out of time here. Maybe some advice you're closing about calibration and PMs that will help our medical device manufacturers. I'm going to revisit the calibration or the calibration and maintenance scheduling. That seems to me like that is the most important. You mentioned earlier that we can give them a boilerplate, but you do. You have to monitor. If you have a high throughput, if you're using like the process parameters are more extreme towards the higher end of the output for the thermal side, you're going to wear out those parts quicker. You need to monitor that seal. You need to look at it visually. You need to test the peel strength. You need to test the output from the sealer itself. All that put together is going to help you develop a really robust PM schedule. And that is going to keep your equipment running in tolerance. And that is going to save you a giant headache. Ah, Words of wisdom from the guy who knows. And you're absolutely right. You made an important point. If you're running the sealer at the higher level, you're going to run through glass cloth and heating elements quicker. So again, that cadence sort of scheduling really doesn't work that great. And even count doesn't work that great. It's a good tool to put into that a mix of saying, well, it's been a month and we've done 
20,000 parts, but we're also looking at seal strength and the value. What's a seal look like? We're looking at seal strength and integrity these days. So to keep us good and on track for part two of 11607, uh, maintenance is huge. And it seems to be a, a kind of a watch feature right now for ISO because we sure have been getting a lot of calls lately where um, the auditor is looking at uh, history of maintenance and oftentimes not very happy with what they're looking at. Well, Cord, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. You're a busy guy. I know you've got, Cord does an amazing job of running our 17025 calibration lab, and he's also tasked with our service center. Not only does he oversee it, he's the guy that's oftentimes working on the machines. He's the one to know, and he's also my boss on the lab side. So he oversees my effort here on our North Lab and makes sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And he's been an incredible teacher. So Cord, thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure, Charlie. Well, it's always such a pleasure to chat with Cord Burnham. Cord really is an SME. I mean, this guy is an amazing tech. He can fix anything. Not only is he a very good tech, he's an amazing manager for our laboratory. He's done thousands and thousands of calibrations, thousands and thousands of high-level service events on critical packaging machinery. And the guy travels all over North America. I mean, this guy is everywhere. You've probably seen him in your waiting room with a bag of tools waiting to get let into your clean room to do uh, calibration on your equipment. He's everywhere. Listen, if you'd like to chat with Cord, uh, he's always open for conversation. Doesn't have to be about our equipment. Anything to do with calibration or preventative maintenance, just shoot him an email. His email is cord at vanderstall.com. Well, medical device manufacturers and medical device packaging professionals, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. We are really excited that our podcast is continuing to grow. I know many of you are spreading the word about Spot Radio, and we certainly appreciate it. Look forward to having you back on the next one. This is Charlie Webb for Spot Radio. This podcast is made possible by Vanderstahl Scientific. Executive producer, Lisa Wasberg. Director of Media Service, Hector Garcia. Audio engineering and editing by Joel and our friends at East Coast Studios. And this is Jonathan Lockwood saying thanks for your support, medical device manufacturers. See you next time on Spot Radio. Spot Radio.